0: Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing, podcast number 31. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. I am the author of several investment books. What we are going to talk about tonight is the second half of chapter 10 from my book, Income and Wealth, Some Self-Directed Investing. Second half, podcast 31, chapter 10. After achieving your income objective, your objective was to invest enough money in your trading account so that its passive income would give you the option to never need to work again. After achieving that objective, you may now wish to invest the surplus cash in an RRSP, a registered retirement saving plan. There it would be in reserve. This is a Canadian tax-free plan. There are similar plans in the United States. The government deducts the surplus money you put in the RRSP from your income for that year. This will lower your annual income tax and generate even more surplus income for you. Well Revenue Canada gives you a bit of a break, there are restrictions on how much they allow you to put in your RRSP each year. If you live into your late 90s, you'll end up having paid income tax on all the money that you put into your Registered Retirement Savings Plan. After you turn 71, you can no longer put money into an RRSP. Now they require you to withdraw money from the Savings Plan. They withdraw starts at 5% and each subsequent year the percentage you were required to withdraw increases slightly. You may have more disposable cash at 71 than you have had in your life. All your major life expenses will most likely be behind you. That is mortgage, education expenses, raising children and so on. By the time I reach 71 I had enough cash being generated in the RRSP that I could easily take out the required 5% from the dividend cash that my RRSP was generating. This meant I did not have to liquidate any of the dividend-producing stocks inside the portfolio. The RRSP continued to grow and generate even more dividend income to pay for the next annual withdrawal. After paying the income tax on the 5% extraction, I now had surplus cash to reinvest. I could not contribute to the RRSP portfolio, and if I put it into my trading account, it would generate taxable income. The solution was now to open a tax-free savings account. Like an RRSP, there are limits as to how much you can put in a TFSA it was about 6000 a year with the ability to do a catch-up for many years that you had missed making contributions. While the tax-free saving account's contributing restrictions were greater than on an RRSP, every tax saving helps. The bank you invest with will be more than happy to open a tax-free saving account for you. They will also tell you how much you can put into it. You can invest the tax-free saving account money the same way as you now invest in your trading account. Even with restrictions on how much money you could put into a tax-free saving account, apparently a few investors, speculators no doubt, have grown their tax-free saving accounts to more than a million dollars. The joy of a tax free savings account is that the money you make in it or take out of it is tax free. The only thing you must remember is that if you take out money this year, be sure to check with your bank to determine when you just how much you can put into it. It can be tricky if you do not want to incur a penalty. Miss Innocence chastised me for not having given her any guideline as to when to sell a stock. When do you sell a stock? The simple answer is you sell a stock when it no longer produces a high enough dividend income to meet your expectations. Miss Innocence was asking this question because she had purchased a stock that had cut its dividend from 9.19% to 6%. This caused some investors to sell the stock, which of course lowered the share price. The value of her shares in that stock were now down a few thousand dollars from her original purchase price. She was ready to join some of the others and sell the stock. That stock was an investment company that financed startups. It takes its security a percentage of the ownership in those companies. I pointed out to Miss Innocence that the company had not cut the dividend to zero. The 6% they were now paying was still a good dividend percentage compared to most stocks. She still owned the same number of shares. Stocks fell in and out of favor. I told her to do a Google search and see if she could determine why it fell out of favor and to also analyze the stock in the same way she did when she first bought it. She did this analysis and found the share price and the book value of the shares were now about the same; this indicated the share price was attractive and likely to increase. The current price to earnings ratio of ten point nine indicated the share price would likely increase as it appeared to be undervalued. The operating margin of sixty two point two nine per cent was very strong, almost double what a large bank's operating margin would be. This was also a sign the share price would increase. Four analysts were still recommending it as a buy, which would encourage investors to buy it and cause the share price to increase. The 20,939 shares traded that day indicated it was active and trading at an acceptable level. No stock is perfect. Stocks go up. And stocks go down. Just because the share price drops this month does not mean that within months the shares could not be worth more than they were what you originally paid for them. Patience and analysis went out in the long run if you own a good stock. Further investigation reported that the stocks had had a temporary problem with the company in which they invested the problem was now being corrected. If you are looking for black and white rules in investing, there are no black and white rules. There is only common sense and logic. You need to analyze each situation before acting. When you first invest, you have not gone through periods where you see your stocks plunge down and they roar ahead and perhaps plunge again. The reason you invest in 20 stocks is while some are going down, others are going up, you will most likely never see all 20 going in the same direction at the same time. That is why the total health of your portfolio is better judged by the gain or loss of the total portfolio rather than by individual stocks in it. On average, share prices gain about 6% a year. A year from now, I would expect Miss Innocence to be showing a significant gain in her total portfolio. This share price cushion means she would no longer obsess over the fluctuations of a few thousand dollars in one stock in her portfolio. She has already seen a significant gain in her portfolio. Until she reaches the level of experience at the first negative sign, she will be convinced that all her money will disappear and it will leave her in poverty unless she does something. The only something she feels is open to her is to sell the stock and cut her losses. This would be a mistake. First, losing all her money will not happen. She carefully chose those 20 good dividend stocks. It takes time to gain faith in your analytical ability. Constantly reinvesting in new stocks creates the problem of it becoming harder and harder for you to find good stocks. There is not an infinite supply of good stocks. You do not want to dilute your portfolio that you so carefully chose, nor do you want to increase your monitoring workload by exceeding 20 stocks. That's all for tonight. Thank you, folks. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.informus.ca.